Sales Tuners, Episode 119, Corn George, Security Solutions Consultant at Rook Security. Fear is a great motivator in the sense that the scariest thing you can ever do is try to dig into your mind. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Mike Tyson, who said, fear is the greatest obstacle to learning, but it is your best friend. It is like fire. If you learn to control it, you let it work for you. If you don't learn to control it, it'll destroy you and everything around you. Today's guest is no stranger to fear. Corn George grew up in Philly where he trained to be an MMA fighter. And while his professional record still stands at 3-0, he shared with me a time he vividly remembers getting his face pounded in. It was at that point, Corn realized failure was indeed an option and there was no shame in giving up. However, he decided he wasn't going to go out like that because it wasn't who he was. Today, he is following his passion in cybersecurity and technology as a solutions consultant for Rook Security, a firm focused on the design, implementation, and maintenance of corporate data security. It's Corn's job to systematically figure out what assets are most important to a business while navigating the interesting predicament that your typical discovery questions could actually expose the vulnerabilities of his prospect's security infrastructure. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 119. But now, let's get to the conversation where Corn talks about selling sodas on the playgrounds of Philly. I grew up in Philly. And in Philly, I don't know if you know this, but soft pretzels are like the biggest things in the entire world. And, um, you know, we have what's called a pretzel break. So we have recess and then we have this 15-minute break during the day where people can buy pretzels. And I remember as a kid, you know, realizing that I was parched and everybody else was. So I decided, you know, there was a um, there was a market, there was a need. The people had a problem that I, that they needed solved, and I figured out that there was this uh, this corner store that sold ten sodas for ten cents a pop. So I took a dollar one day, bought ten, went in and sold it for fifty cents a piece. Sodas at the time were going for uh, seventy five cents a can, and you know that was for the name brand, the Pepsi's and the Cokes and stuff. And I had the off brand. But I had a closed market, right? Um, I had a captive audience, if you will. And and there was a problem that people needed to solve. And so I started selling sodas for 50 cents a pop. And I ended up selling every single one of those sodas on the first day. So I made, you know, kind of 500% um, return or 400% return, if you will. Um, and I ended up just repeating that process. That's how I first, I, that's one of the first times I remember getting the sales. And what was important about that process is after they started succeeding, a lot of people in the neighborhood started getting in, in on it and people started doing it. And I realized something that's very important that carried me throughout my sales career. And that is that everything that you sell, you're trying to solve a problem for someone. They may or may not have it at the top of mind, but they know somewhere deep down inside of them is a problem. The thing is that there are going to be a lot of people trying to solve those problems for them. It's how you differentiate yourself that makes the difference. If you're in a market where you can't differentiate yourself in any way, shape, size, or form, then it becomes solely based on price. And that's exactly what happened in my situation because people can get the same sodas that I could get 
and sell it the same, you know, sell it to the same people. So they started, you know, undercutting, right? I was selling for 50, somebody went to 40, somebody went to 30. And then by the time it got down to like 15, 20 cents, I just decided to exit that market. Yeah, it wasn't worth it anymore. Yeah, it wasn't worth it anymore. And But that's very important to learn, though, that is that, you know, people solve problems and you're trying to solve problems. And this, if, if you're able to differentiate yourself and differentiate the way that you're going to solve problems, that's the only way that you can truly add value and truly have any control over, quote unquote, your worth. What separates you today from other salespeople? You know what? I think I think it, a lot of it is some of those lessons that I learned early on, and that is that I'm constantly trying to differentiate myself from those um, those that are in in my industry, um, other salespeople in general, and just you know just in life, right? You know, I'm constantly trying to evolve in terms of my education. I'm constantly trying to meet new people, learn from new people. And those things. So I think that's what those are the things that are the soft skills, I guess, or maybe they're the hard skills. I don't know. But they're the things that help me um, push through. I think one of the things that also helps me differentiate myself is that I know myself very well. I know myself very well. I know my limitations. I work on those all the time. I know the things that I'm good at. And I try to utilize those skills and improve on those skills that I'm better at. And the ones that I'm not, not good at, those are the things that I try to focus on improving. What do you what do you mean you know yourself? I've heard people say that before. What do you mean by that? You that you know yourself. The scariest thing you can ever do is try to dig into your mind. I'm a huge fan of mental health. You know, I, I go to therapy once a week and, and that's something that is very important to me. And it helps me dig a little bit deeper into who I am and understand the genesis and the reasonings behind the things that I do. Also, for the better part for them from a sales perspective, it helps me deal with the problems, the issues, right? You know, we pick an industry and a lot of salespeople say I'm fearless and, and you know, I, I believe I can do everything and do that. And when I hear people say that, I know that they don't know themselves, you know, because I know myself, I'm scared all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm so scared all the time, you know, and I, I, I understand that by going through therapy and going through those things, you know, you realize that you're, if you care about the products and you care about the things that you're selling, you picked an industry where you're going to be rejected more times than not. And if you don't understand yourself and you don't understand your value, that could have some deeper consequences on you, your family, and everything else around you, right? And so being able to go through those mental exercises and knowing who I am and knowing my value and knowing what's good for me and what what I am good at and what I am not good at and not being afraid to admit that is what really I mean by I know myself. And I'm not saying I know myself totally, but I'm not afraid to get to know myself more and more each day. I'm totally intrigued by this. You just said, you know, you're scared all the time. You've told me before in conversations, you know, your main driver is, is fear. Help, help me. Just, just tell me more about that. With the mixed martial arts background, one of the greatest things that I learned was fear. And, you know, there was a, there's a movie about Mike Tyson. It's a great online quote where he talks about fear. And, and that just, it gets to me, right? Because what happens is a lot of times we look at fear and, and people want to say, I'm fearless, right? And, and when, when someone, you know, in the, in, the, in the fighting world, in the combat sport world, whenever I looked at someone and they, they tried to pretend to be fearless, I knew they were done. I knew they were done. They hadn't really, um, you know, dealt with their fear in the right way. So fear is a great motivator in the sense that the, the more afraid you are, you know, you, and, and you harness that fear and you look at, all right, so I have a bunch of sales calls to make, right? Um, why am I not making these sales calls? It's because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of getting hung up on. I'm afraid of you know all these different things. I'm afraid that I'll say the wrong things. I'm afraid I'll do X, Y, and Z. And the only way to truly get yourself out of that 
mentality is to harness that fear. Okay, why am I afraid that I'm going to get hung up on? Well, that's because I haven't prepared. Okay, let me prepare. So the more you understand about fear, the more you you really realize that the things that you're afraid of are things that you can break down into chunks. And once you understand those things, you under you then can do a better job at moving forward. And so when you're fearful of things, you can you have to look at what you're fearful of, what the outcome is that you're really truly afraid of, and then break down, walk back and say, okay, here's how I can mitigate that problem from happening or that situation from happening. In the video with Mike Tyson talking about fear, his fear was about this guy humiliating him. Every day he's in the gym and he's thinking about this guy knocking him out in front of all of his friends and family and so on and so forth. So that motivated him to work that much harder so that that reality didn't come into play. And that's how I use fear all the time. You know, I had no idea where you were going to go with that, but I just, it it truly resonated. I've recently been uh, listening to some of the stuff Tim Ferriss is putting out around the notion of, and I think he calls it fear planning or fearscaping, something along those lines. But he does exactly what you just said, Corin. In that, he will set out and say, okay, it's not what goals am I going to try to achieve next year, but what are the things that I'm afraid of for next year? And then once you go put all those things down, as you said, at that point, you can break it down and say, okay, I'm afraid of this outcome because of this. Well, here's the things that would overcome that. And if I'm able to overcome it, here's what would happen then. And then once you start doing all that, like, I, I know it's, it's, it's kind of like two sides of the same coin, but like at that point, you realize there truly is nothing to be afraid of because like the worst case scenario isn't really that bad, but you let the big overarching fear get the best of you. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I hate to keep bringing everything back, back to the fight game, right? But it's it, they, there's this age-old saying, it's the punch you don't see, right, that knocks you out. It's the punch you don't see that knocks you out. So when you're looking at fear and when you're looking at, you know, planning for the next year or whatever the case may be, it's the thing that you didn't think about that could be a problem, um, that the fear that you didn't really truly harness, that is going to be the problem. That is going to be the thing that knocks you out because you never planned for it. You're not prepared for it. But like you said, right, if you look at all the fears, and this is, I think this is what Tim is talking about, if you look at all the fears and the worst case scenarios that can happen and you've addressed them and you're prepared for them, you know, a lot of times things don't go bad in an instant. They, they take time to go bad, right? And so you can start recognizing the steps that are happening that are making those worst case scenarios happen and mitigate that early. And what happens in those situations, why those things come to fruition is because of vulnerability. Um, once you admit that there's a fear and you're uncomfortable in that situation, that's what really vulnerability is. The acknowledgement of a fear and the uncomfortable feeling that comes with that. And it's not necessarily the fear that causes the problem, it's the vulnerability and inability to act that causes a lot of the problems. So if you've already planned for the worst case scenario, when you get into that situation, when you acknowledge the danger, but you're not vulnerable to it because you've prepared for it, I mean, you're not, you're not uncomfortable because you prepare for it, then you don't have a vulnerability. And the chances of that vulnerability being exploited is not really that hot. I'm sitting here shaking my head uh, with everything you're saying, Corn. One of the things that I work with a lot of my clients on is opportunity planning, right? Account planning. And the the, the, the reps that I work with, the best reps. And, w- and when I define a best rep, I want to let everybody know, like I'm talking about somebody who has a W-2 over quarter million dollars a year, right? These are the best reps that I'm talking about. The best reps that I work with We'll do an opportunity analysis, and they are the ones who will list on this sheet the most possible hurdles that could prevent a deal from getting done. 
And, you know, the, my, my rookie salespeople, they don't even think about that kind of stuff. But my veterans who are making over a quarter million dollars a year, literally, they might have 20 reasons why this deal is not going to close. But once they write them down on the piece of paper, now they can put a plan together. Now they can start to see all the blind spots, all the things that could possibly go wrong, all the things they haven't done, and they can start to fill those gaps. And it's exactly what you're talking about from just that preparation standpoint. But it's amazing to me how many people don't take the time to do it. And it's a difficult process. Um, you know, I, I am far from ever telling you that uh, I'm, I'm the greatest at it, but I think it's one of those things where, like most things in life, right, you can never believe that you've had, you have it solved. And you just got to keep on working at it, working at it, working at it to, to get better. Well, speaking of trying to solve things, you are trying to sell to an audience that does not want to be found online. Uh, it's a group that intentionally hides themselves from company directories, from, you know, they, they change the format of their email address. How on earth are you getting these CIOs and CISOs to actually take a meeting with you? So, you know, you have to find new ways of, of reaching people. And, you know, cold outreach is great and it's never going to die down, right? You're still going to have people that are going to answer those phone calls, but it's a lot more difficult in this industry. So for example, right, you're reaching a C, you're, you're reaching a CISO, right? Um, the typical cold, you know, kind of conversations, right? That's used as a ploy to exploit their network, right? That's used as an employee. That, that's, that's used as a, um, that's, that's a way of social engineering them into giving up data that someone can use to exploit their network. The typical discovery questions that you ask to understand what their pain is, you know, kind of uh, illuminates vulnerabilities that they have, weaknesses that they have in their program. So it's extremely difficult to have that kind of that full cold conversation, right? It's not impossible and it can be done and it just takes a lot, lot more effort. So what, what I do is I actually kind of work around that process, right? And so what is, what is the problem? Why won't anyone talk to anyone? Well, they're fearful. They're fearful that they don't know who they're speaking with. They're fearful that they, that the person on the other line may be someone that is, you know, trying to harm them. And they're also fearful because they've spent so much time dealing with other salespeople that just want to take their time and shove some product down their throat and, and those things, right? So what I do is I, I, I give a lot, right? And I focus a lot on the social aspect of it and having these conversations with people where they do know who I am. Um, and they do know what I represent. And so when we're having these conversations a little bit easier, is a little bit more um, more warmer than, than having a cold conversation. Because it's, like you said, these are people that are hiding. When you find them in, their, in the cold, they're like, how did you find me? Yeah. Like they're, they're immediately skeptical of that. Uh, and, and it's interesting too. I didn't even think about that, Corn, from your perspective of your discovery questions that you might have five or 10 questions canned, ready to go. But those are questions that are going to expose their network, expose their vulnerability. I didn't even think about that, but you're completely right. So it's like, you can't even have an honest conversation up front. You got, you got layers of trust to build before they'll say anything to you. That's what the critical part is that, you know, that, you know, in most situations, when you're doing that pain funnel part of it, and you're trying to find out, you know, what what is what is really the core of the issue here? What is the real problem that they're trying to solve? You know, at the end of the day, if someone needs a you know a third party cybersecurity firm such as Rook, that means that they feel as if the critical data for the company to stay afloat may be at risk, and they have to expose that that conversation to you. 
And you could be anyone. You could be someone that wants to take advantage of that, right? And so you have to build that level of trust. And also, there, there are a lot of great people that understand the idea of having the conversation about where they, you know, we talked a little bit about vulnerability and stuff, having the conversation about where they're vulnerable helps them get help. But in reality, admitting that sometimes to some people can feel like them saying they're not doing their jobs properly. So you have to really try to... um work with people and helping them understand that, again, you're a partner that's trying to help them solve a problem that they've already identified that they're trying to solve, and you're just trying to help them solve it in a better way. So, Corn, I know this truly is a passion for you, right? Like You truly love technology. You truly love cybersecurity. And I know you personally are very good at using the internet to find information out about people. You know, I saw a LinkedIn post you had where you asked five people to volunteer to allow you to look into what they're doing. So, you know, that, that, that is truly a risk from a cybersecurity standpoint, but a huge asset in a sales prospecting standpoint. So, you know, you also mentioned that uh, when you do find some of these guys in the cold, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How'd you find me? So how do you balance that? That skill that you have in, in finding people and finding information online with you know having to, to build that trust? How do you balance that? It's interesting because I, I listened to Ryan um, on one of the podcasts a little while ago and he was talking about you know gathering information on folks and you know you and he and you got into the conversation about Kentucky. And you know, in most cases, right, that finding out that type of information about someone is 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 awesome, right? It's doing your homework. A lot of times as a curious, it's like, whoa, it puts up red flags, right? People are like, how'd you know that much about me? And, and so to balance that is really truly being open, uh, being open about it and, and letting people know the reasons why, right? You know, instead of, you know, just coming out of the blue and just having this conversation where I'm kind of tapping on something that, that you already know and because that's social engineering. And, and, and for most people that understand social engineering, it's a lot like sales. And I think for you to take that negative feeling of someone feeling like they're social engineered, let them know, listen, um, you know, in, in process of having this conversation with you, I took some time to do some homework on you and, and allowing people to understand that, you know, listen, they spend most of their days with a lot of different salespeople, especially in the security industry that waste a lot of their time, letting them know that before you, you jumped on the call with them, that you took some time to truly understand who they are and you're trying to understand more, I think that benefits people in a lot of ways because it lets them know that, you know, I'm invested in this process just like you. I'm not just cold calling. I'm not just cold reaching a hundred people with the same bot driven um, email. I'm actually putting in some work here. So therefore I'm differentiating myself going back to what we talked about a little bit earlier. I'm dif- this work is not me trying to be, you know, kind of creepy or nefarious by looking into you, this is me demonstrating that I care about your process and I want to understand you on a higher level. Has that ever gone wrong for you personally? <laughs> yeah, it has. It has and it does. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, you are dealing with people that deal a lot with security. And sometimes people are, you know, you have a lot of different personalities and people are highly offended that you were able to find information on them and their systems and things like that without them not knowing. So you're not going to please all the people all the time. It's finding the things that work majority of the time, the things that people appreciate majority of the time, thinking from thinking from an empathetic standpoint of trying to get in the mind of your, your clients and ultimately trying to solve the problems that they're trying to solve. And if it doesn't work for some people, fine, move on to someone that it will work with. So I got a story about this. I was prospecting, gosh, this was probably three, maybe four years ago for uh, a company that I was doing some work with. And 
the guy, he was opening every email that I sent. Uh, he was clicking on the links, but he just would not respond, right? I knew I had him. He was on the verge of something and he just would not respond. And I noticed that his click stream had been coming from like, I don't know, the Philippines or Singapore or Thailand, somewhere, you know, in, in East Asia. And so my kind of like last email to him was like, Hey, uh, sending a few things. It definitely looks like you're interested. Um, you know, let's, let me know if we should talk. Uh, regardless, hope you enjoy your time in Singapore or whatever, where again, wherever he was. And he replied almost instantaneously and said how offended he was. He doesn't know how I got that information. And the fact that he's, that I'm snooping on him on a private vacation, something like he lit me up. And, you know, I, I had a choice at that point. I could take this one person, as you said, getting offended and never do it again, or I can just keep honing my craft and getting better at it. And that's obviously the path that I chose. But I mean, this guy lit me up. He was furious. Like, do not ever contact me or this company again. Corn, I know you've also uh, recently started uh, what looks like a personal branding initiative where you're doing a podcast series called Textplain. Uh, I've, seen, I've watched a few of these. Tell me more about what you're, what you're trying to do with that. I am so, so passionate about technology. And I'm talking about every form of technology. Uh, today on LinkedIn, I, I just posted something about CRISPR, um, you know, biotech, cybersecurity. And at the end of the day, all of it flows into cybersecurity because I think it's the most important thing. Uh, and so with, with TechSplain, what I'm trying to do is take some time to explain to people some of the things that are happening in technology in real world conversation. Obviously, I'm skewed a lot to cybersecurity. But I think that once we start educating people, there's there's a lot of benefits to it. Once we start educating people on what's going on in the tech world, um, it makes the lives of those folks that are in IT and in the different technical realms a lot easier because they're able to explain to you know management in a way that makes sense for from a business standpoint or or to a lay person, or they're able to speak to the people in their organization, especially from a security standpoint. You know, the everyday user doesn't understand some of these high level, highly technical things. But really, you can break it down into simple, simple um, concepts that they can understand when it comes to their personal lives that translates into the business world. So TechSplain is just me trying to do what I can to help people understand technology where they are and not where technologists are. I think education just in general is huge, right? And I mean that at the, at the national level of educating the next generation of, of, uh, of our country, but also to your point, educating a market, educating the layperson about how to talk about the things that we're doing. So I love what you're doing there. Speaking of being educated, I need you to educate me. I read uh, on your, on your LinkedIn that you often lie to Uber and Lyft drivers. Tell me, tell me about that. It's funny because I, I did do a little bit of Uber driving for a little while there. Um, as part of a networking scheme, if you will, right? When people get into um, Ubers and things like that nature, right? You talk a lot about, you talk so much about who you are when you have these conversations, you're talking to a stranger. So people are not afraid. You talk about who you are, where you've been, you know, a lot about your life. You give up a lot of things that you may not know that you're giving up that this person could use to, you know, infiltrate your company, infiltrate your life. I mean, in perfect honesty, you know, if, if you truly wanted to infiltrate a, a certain companies, become an Uber driver and park outside of their office around four o'clock in, in the afternoon or, or on a Thursday, right? When the consultants are leaving and they just left and they just left and they have to do a conference call while they're in the car. Stay there, do that for about a month, month and a half. You're going to get so much information on that company you're going to get so much information on the people that go in and out of that company that you can clearly infiltrate that company in, 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 in a very meaningful way. On the flip side of that, too, is 
you know, if you're trying to, you know, unfortunately trying to attack someone, right? Finding, you know, pick, stay outside their house for a little while, find out where they live, stay outside their house, pick them up, you know, a couple of times, they start having conversations, they start getting, you know, a little bit loose with the conversation. The next thing you know, you can, you can attack them. So for security purposes, I don't necessarily, it's not that I don't trust an Uber driver. I just don't trust anyone with a lot of information. So when I'm in an Uber, I'll have a great conversation with someone because I love talking to people and that's just naturally who I am. But when it comes to details, right, certain details that I've considered personal personal and, and things that, that I need to keep hidden, I, I won't disclose that. So who do you bank with? <laughs> Myself, I guess, right? <laughs> you know, what's, what's funny. So it, it, it's interesting because this, uh, this paranoia, I mean, what I'm hearing you say is we need to be paranoid about every single interaction with another human being that we have. And that's no way to live life. And I don't you know you don't actually mean that. But here's what's crazy. You know, anybody who listens to the show knows that I'm currently traveling around the world. Well, last Thursday, uh, my credit card, my exclu- I have more than one credit card, but the, the credit card that my family is using exclusively on this trip uh, was, was compromised to the tune of like 100 online charges overnight while I was sleeping. Chase did a great job and I'll just put out there, Chase was my, is my bank. Chase uh, alerted me to it, but still 100, 100 charges, one, not $100, 100 charges. Anyway, they shut it all down. Uh, they, they, they helped me get a card and then they got new cards to Dar es Salaam, Tanzania in like four days. I, I completely uh, respect them for that. But Literally, I mean, I, I, I thought, you know, I, I'm a person who uses VPN in every public hot, uh, public hotspot. I try my best to take care of, of everything that I'm doing. And yet here I am, I, I become vulnerable to things. So it's crazy. It's a crazy world. So it's interesting that you say that one of the, one of the episodes I recently did on TechSplain, and I was actually on the news a little bit talking about this is about that, right? That credit card stuff. And, and you know, and that's the whole point of things like TechSplain and, and, and you know, where I am is that. I don't want, I sound paranoid when I'm just telling you exactly what it is, but it's not anything to really be paranoid about because it's problems that can easily be solved. Well, Corn, you've got me convinced. Hey, I've got to take a quick break so that we can say thank you to my sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales sooners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Costello is pioneering the way companies build and execute sales playbooks. The platform helps sales reps prepare for calls, ask timely questions, tell relevant stories, and sync insights back to their CRM, all while showing managers and reps the gaps in every single deal so they can work them together to move them forward. With Costello, sales leaders can identify what's working on the front line and replicate success across their entire team. Learn more and see a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Corn, are you ready for the money round? I was born ready for this. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? That's a very interesting question because I don't believe that I'm exceptional. I believe that, you know, I always have more to do. So if I ever do become exceptional is the fact that I never believe that I'm exceptional. That got me there. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? I think if I were to start over in sales, I would spend the next 30 days finding as many mentors as I can, finding as many people that I can steal ideas from because good artists, they create great artists steal. And so that's what I would tell myself to do. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? Neither. It's the how that's the most important thing to me, right? Um, winning and not understanding the how is just anything else. It's not, it's not that fun. It's not great. I don't enjoy that. 
but when I do understand the how, I can then figure out how to replicate that. Losing and not understanding the how is just whatever it is, right? But when I lose and I understand how I lost and I'm able to um, fix that problem, I love that as well. So neither one is bad. It's just the how. What's a book, Corn, that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? You Are Not So Smart by David McRaney. It's a great book that talks about the heuristics and the flaws that we have in our minds that make us think that we're making the right decisions when we're really not. And, and also helping us thinking that we're understanding people and understanding the way how people act when in reality, we're flawed. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Corn's suggestion of You Are Not So Smart for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book for You Are Not So Smart. What is currently at the top of your bucket list? Uh, to be Jim Brown. Um, no, at the top of my bucket list is to do what you're doing right now um, you know, and travel the world with my family. Um, and still be able to connect with uh, with the people back home as well as you're doing right now. So I, I would say to be Jim Brown for a year would be my uh, on my bucket list. Well, I'm honored. You can come join me. I've got six months left. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Don't fall into the trap of trying to be fearless. Figure out what you're afraid of. Figure out how to mitigate those problems and then work backwards from that. Um, that's the number one thing that you have to do because the only reason why you're not accomplishing your goals right now, nine times out of 10 is because of fear of some kind of action. Figure out what it is and solve that problem. You'll be great. While not specifically related to sales, I was absolutely fascinated by the notion of potentially infiltrating a company's vulnerabilities by becoming an Uber driver and picking up passengers from their headquarters. It's not a stretch to think that those small talk conversations or overhearing conference calls for three to four weeks could absolutely arm you with the ammunition you need. Something to think about from your own personal data perspective. If you want to connect with Corn, check out his video series on LinkedIn called Texplain. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, differentiation is key. Most of us want to believe we're not selling a commodity, but having been on the buyer side of the table for several SaaS platforms lately, I assure you each demo starts to blur together because the features are all so similar. Figure out how you can differentiate yourself from your competitors, not only in what you sell, but in how you sell as well. Unless you're the founder of the company, I understand you don't have control over the product itself, but tailoring your pitch to only the things your prospects care about is one of the best ways to make you easily stand out. Number two, harness your fear. Fear comes not from knowing what's on the other side of a situation, but the last thing I want for you is to be afraid and not even know why. Think about all the situations that have or continue to limit you on a daily basis. What is it that you're actually afraid of? Write it down. Then think through the different ways you can mitigate that outcome. What can you do to remove those vulnerabilities by preparing for each obstacle? Number three, tell your prospects what you're doing. People don't want to be manipulated or even feel like they may be. In sales, it's very easy to be perceived this way. Corn called it social engineering, but it's all the same. Let your prospects know you've done your homework and will be using that information you found about them to add value to the sales process. With all the privacy headlines in the news right now, being forthright about what you know can actually relieve potential anxiety that you just considered par for the course. 
That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week when I talk with Alan Hammer about an addiction that nearly cost him his career. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there.